What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mech. And with me tonight is my brother-in-arms, Dr. Diamond Doug. Triple D, that's me. Quick reminder, you can find us on AdventuresInVideoLand.com or on our Facebook page at Adventures in Videoland. We are critics with attitude. In many of the AV podcasts, you'll hear some bad language, but that's not really our style, so we'll try to keep this... PG-13. PG-13. Maybe some mild profanity and just a hint of artful nudity. Mmm, just a hint. Also, spoiler alert, if you don't want tonight's movie ruined, pause this episode, watch the movie, and come back later. With that said, tonight we'll be talking about Pantheon nomination number nine for this year, Saving Private Ryan. Nominated by Marshall Wade, guest voter Heidi Johnson. Before we get to any of that, Doug, let's chat about Pantheon. What is Pantheon in your words? Sure. Pantheon uh, refers to movies that hit on all cylinders. We're talking about acting, directing, script, score, cinematography, special effects. Uh, we have used the term essential viewing before. Essential viewing. And if it is a film that's a genre type film, like it, it's a, a karate film or it's a documentary, documentary, that it is the best of its kind. And, and, and Representative. Ex an exemplar. Yeah, an exemplar. How does Pantheon work, Mr. Gary? Well, Pantheon uh, in Adventures in Video Land is a, a series of movies that get nominated by members of the AV Council. A uh, council member will nominate the movie pick a guest voter like tonight, and the council will all vote, have to do a 500-word write-up, and they will each vote yes, no, whether it goes in Pantheon. So there are nine council members, mm -hmm. then there's a Facebook poll, an open poll, anybody on the group. Counts as one vote. That the, the win, yes, no, counts as one yes or no vote, and then the guest voter also counts as a vote for a total of 11, 11 votes. Uh, a movie must get uh, two-thirds. Two That's yeah. right. Seven votes of 11 to get in. That being said, let's talk for a minute about previous movies that we've done this year. What do we start with, Dr. Sure. Diamond Sure, and I just want to pause right now yeah. for anybody who's listening to the podcast that it is currently raining outside. Cats and dogs. To set the mood, we have rain just driving mm. down on cats us. Cats and dogs and cats and dogs and That's cats and dogs. Right. So if you hear if you hear some rain in the background, uh, we are gonna plow through ahead, regardless of, of this rain. And it works great because this is a war movie we're gonna be talking about tonight. So That's it's right. like we're just going forth, regardless of the weather. All right, you had asked me about which movies we've looked at so far. Just run. This is our final nomination from the council. From the council this there year, there will be one more nomination. <gasps> what? From uh, some secret people. Secret. I'm not going to say who. Secret people. Uh, yeah. I bet it's a duo. So, uh, but so far we've heard from, we, we've looked at Dear Zachary, A Letter from a Father to His Son. A documentary. Nominated by Jeremy. We've looked at Boogie Nights, nominated by Ryan. Pink Floyd, The Wall, which is a, a rock opera, mm -hmm. nominated by Nathan. Miami Connection, nominated by Brad, which Martial is, arts, 80s cocaine yeah, ninja a, motorcycle a movie. Best worst movie. Best worst movie. We've looked at Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, nominated by Kyle. Uh, Young Frankenstein, nominated by yeah, nominated by Matthew. Cabaret by Rachel, and then A Clockwork Orange, which was our last one, nominated by Cousin Wayne. So how'd they do? How did so, uh, Dear Zachary do? Two, so out of the 11 votes, that got two votes. That's almost, almost just missed it by 
this much. <laughs> yeah. So it did not make it. No. Bogey Nights got six out of eleven. It was right on the edge. Literally missed it by this right much. Right on the edge. Pink Floyd the Wall, three out of eleven, did not make it. Mm-hmm. Nor did Miami Connection. Again, six out of eleven, very close. Very close. Uh so the first movie of the year that got in was Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. We had disagreed, me and you, we did. on whether or not that should get in, but the yep. council liked it almost uh like uh, nine of a 11. lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then and uh, same vote for Young Frankenstein, 9 out of 11. That made it in. So those are the two movies that did make it in. For this season. For this season. And then uh, Cabaret did not, 3 out of 11, nor did A Clockwork Orange. Only 5. 5 out of 11 that both you and I had thought that that might make it in. Yeah. Um, I, we were not all right all the time. You were on the edge. I, I was a little bit higher. But uh, uh, that, in the end, did not make it in. So, so far this season... We're looking at Life Aquatic and Young Frankenstein as the two entries into Pantheon. So anyone who wants to look at previous uh, movies that are in Pantheon, have been voted in Pantheon, you can go to uh, the webpage, uh, adventuresinvideoland.com, click on Pantheon, you'll see the list of all the movies that have made it, and uh, at the very, very bottom, a list of all the other movies that have been nominated and not made it. And you might be very surprised to find some of those movies down there at the bottom that didn't make it in. They weren't, you know, maybe those kind of, you know, niche movies some of these were like major classic movies, Hollywood box office hits. For example, Silence of the Lambs. I mean, The Breakfast Club. You know, if somebody yeah. asked me if The Breakfast Club would make it in in, in uh, Pantheon, I'd say, of course it would. But that's not how this works. It's not just movies that were popular. It's not just movies that were generally uh, but they accepted. Have, yeah, they have to be movies that are deemed as not only great, but beyond great. Essential. Like, uh, essential viewing. viewing. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So before we get all the way into talking about the movie and kind of breaking it down tonight, uh, let's do a little section we like to call foreplay. Uh, I mean, who doesn't like that, frankly? Yeah, you so, start with foreplay. Let's start with a little foreplay. All right. So Dr. Diamond Doug, uh, Saving Private Ryan, a very well-received, highly awarded um, a lot of people have seen it. It's a very popular war movie uh, starring Tom Hanks and others. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, some of the most memorable scenes in Saving Private Ryan involve battles, hand-to-hand combat, extreme, seemingly chaotic violence, um, and death. Sure. And yeah. you know, watching this movie can <clears throat> can can uh, bring up a lot of emotions, a lot of emotional response. When yeah, you, and when you're certainly. Uh, when they when it first came out and people who because it came out in 1998 mm-hmm. and people were still around who had been part yes. of World War II and the or Omaha, their parents yeah and they had been part of the uh, invasion in Normandy mm-hmm. came to see the movie and many of them had to leave the theater had to like take a breath and leave the theater flashbacks um, right like it was very realistically shot it was done intentionally that way so let me ask you. Yeah. Uh, just talking about not the war scene specifically, but you know, in watching this movie, you see a lot of death. Yeah. Uh, have you personally ever experienced death? Yeah. So, Obviously not yourself, but in person. Well, I, I'll say like in a former career of mm-hmm. mine, because yeah. I used to be a pastor for a while, uh-huh. that I had to deal with a. a, a a, a lot of death in terms of doing uh, funeral services. Uh, one very notable one, and this ties in with the movie, mm. um, is that I had a military death that during 2006 that it was a soldier who had died mm-hmm. in Iraq, local here from Lafayette, uh, Matt Franz. 
Um, and um, the, there's a scene in the movie where the, the military personnel come up to the house and they have to explain, the talk about, like, to yeah. let let mom know that their child had died. The pastor and the officers show up at mom's house to give yeah. them the information. Yeah. I literally was in that situation as the pastor at the time, uh, and um, and had and and I saw military personnel come to the house and mm-hmm. explain uh, and talk about the death that had happened. They the family mm-hmm. already knew what was going right. on because communication is much more readily available now. now. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Dirt, while I was watching that scene, it just it bowled me over. Uh, yep. th- th- this time, I had seen the movie way back when it first came out in '98. Right. I haven't. I honestly haven't watched it again since un- until recently for this uh, for this episode. Mm-hmm. And when I watched it again, um, now that I've had that experience, that would just it really just kind of like resonated with me yeah, as t- just touched you right in yeah, right just it, brought it, you right back it did it did so um uh, for me yeah. i have personally been uh, uh present twice uh as somebody passed on and in several of the scenes and i don't mean necessarily the chaotic war scenes but uh we'll talk more about this in a little bit but but uh this movie kind of takes the audience and gets them to know somebody and then and then experienced their death in a very intimate personal way yeah. and i've been there twice yeah and it was very difficult for me in 1998 but also now uh to watch those scenes I, i'll still rewatch the movie because i really do i personally like this movie and i've seen it many many times but I still am transported back to that moment. Yeah. Uh, and repeatedly during this And I, I had one particular experience where I was bedside at somebody, like I, I was at, uh, it was a nursing home, mm-hmm. and I was I was in, in their room uh, at the bedside, and the, they, they uh, um, just for whatever reason, while I was holding their hand, they faded away. Mm-hmm. And the light went out. And there was a couple scenes in the movie where, like, uh, somebody gets shot and they go from being a person to not. To not. And that transition is just, like, uh, like again, it just kind of, like, struck me yep. uh, of being there and watching right. death in a personal fashion. It's not just, like, an action movie that you've got these, like, like uh, you know, like, super huge action star with double machine guns rocks out right. and is shooting everybody. But these are people that you get to know, and right. then they're gone. And then they're gone. So, like, this movie, like, you, you we could say for this conversation and for the movie, like, I, I, I know it, it gets played to death, but... This almost needs a trigger warning of sorts, like Kinda. in the sense of like if you're watching this film and you've experienced death, just realize you might be running into that same is, feeling yeah. over and over. Again. It is not grayed off the edges. It's not fuzzy around the edges. They don't. They don't kind of uh, play it off. It's right there. It's yeah. done intentionally. It's a part of the way the movie's structured. It's a part of what makes this movie what it is. You can't talk about Saving Private Ryan without at least discussing this element. Might I just say, Mr. Miggity Mac, that yes, you sir. are the worst at foreplay. Am this I? Is the worst Did foreplay? we just dive right in? <laughs> this is the worst foreplay ever. <laughs> we started out strong. Well, I didn't mean to go quite so deep, but this but this actually relates back to the way this movie affects people when they watch it, so, yeah, so yeah. I'm pretty, no, I pretty cool it. with it. I get let's, it. Let's, just, let's, let's lighten up a little bit Let's talk a little bit about some movie facts, uh, a synopsis. Why don't you give me a synopsis of this movie? Sure. Uh, this synopsis is from Metacritic. Hold on, i got to open a beer. All right. There we go. 
During World War II D-Day invasion, a squad of soldiers led by Captain John Miller, played by Tom Hanks, is sent into Normandy to find Private James Ryan, played by Matt Damon, and return him to his mother in America because, as uh, they had as found the story out... storyline goes... That she had already lost three other sons in the war. And in fact, three other sons within a few days of each other. And they didn't want her to experience a fourth. A fourth. And uh, there were connections in there back to uh, 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 Abraham Lincoln writing a yep. letter, back to uh, a, a mother who, a grieving mother who just lost multiple children, etc. That's, that's the basis. It's why they have to go find mm-hmm. Private Ryan. Pri- uh, Saving Private Ryan was rated R. It's uh, obviously a war. Uh, Drama, uh, historical fiction based on historical fact, but historical fiction directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, screenplay by Robert Rodat, I believe, who, who also directed Thor: The Dark the World. The Dark World. <laughs> Interesting. War movies might be his thing. Uh, or directed, but wrote. Uh, produced by Ian Bryce, Mark Gordon, Gary Levinson, and Steven Spielberg. Music by John Williams. Not a huge shock there, Steven yeah. Spielberg and John Williams. Uh, cinematography by I don't know how to pronounce it. Janus Kaminsky. Name. Yeah, Schindler's List. Who also did the cinematography for Schindler's yeah, List? Yeah, that is right. Edited by Michael Kahn. Uh, in theaters, came out in the summer of 1998, July. Uh, Runtime is about two hours fifty. I always put aside about three and a half hours to watch this movie because yeah. I personally have to pause in the middle. Yeah, it's just the way I do. Uh, studio is out of Paramount Pictures and distributed by DreamWorks. Again, none of those two make that uh, are too big of a surprise yeah. with a Steven Spielberg, John Williams, uh, etc. You uh, had movie. mentioned some connections to some uh, some actual facts that this was based on a story um, that there's a couple different stories that this is related to. One most notably is the Nyland Brothers, yep. who are a group of uh, Irish Americans where uh, two of the brothers had died, a third was pr- supposed to like. They thought he had died. He actually was in a POW camp, right? And they want and they brought home the fourth brother so that the mother wouldn't experience Lose that them loss. Uh, and I was reading somewhere else that the screenplay Robert Rodat uh, had originally come up with the idea when he was looking at a Civil War monument. And uh, I don't have the name. Oh no, I do. Is that uh, that he had seen. Uh, a war monument dedicated to the four sons of Agnes Allison. And I believe that's the woman who the letter from Abraham Lincoln is written to. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so that that was part of the story. All right. Uh, this uh, ratings, uh, this movie came out. Uh, IMDb says it's an 8.6 of 10. Uh, I would argue that that's low. But I'm a fan of this movie. Uh, Metacritic, 91%. 37 positive, one mixed. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 93%. Uh, and uh, Google 96% liked it. So let's hear about some critics. Sure, uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, we've we've leaned on Roger Ebert before, and he gives it four out of four stars and says that Saving Private Ryan is a powerful experience. I'm sure a lot of people will weep during it. I have cried every time I've watched this movie. Uh, as have I. Spielberg knows how to make audiences weep better than... Any director since Chaplin in City Lights, but weeping is an incomplete response, letting the audience off the hook. This film embodies ideas as well. After the immediate experience begins to fade, the implications remains and grow. Yeah, you know, there are there are little scenes in this movie, uh, just tiny little scenes, little 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 flashes that will um, relate more than you know five minutes of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that a little later. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 
Uh, yeah. Fresh, Gene Siskel, Chicago Tribune, Saving Private Ryan accomplishes something I've been taught was most difficult. Making an action-filled anti-war film, or at least one that doesn't in some way glorify or lie about combat. In fact, the characters in Saving Private Ryan, this is not part of the review, this is my words, the characters in Saving Private Ryan comment directly about the futility of what they're doing, the ridiculousness of what they're... Why are we risking eight yeah. guys to save one? We can we can take out that thing over there, or we can avoid yeah. it. Yeah, so there's a lot of that stuff. So I on. scoured through Rotten Tomatoes uh, for the... Re- these are professional reviews, and mm-hmm. there was one negative professional review. Neil Norman. Neil Norman from the London, London Evening Standard. So not an American, uh, so he wouldn't have the same level of... Uh, uh, it, it's, the movie is definitely from an American point of view. It Even, is. You know, like lo- there are a lot of other actors in World War II. Although we were allies with the Brits, they had a yeah. different perspective. Yeah. Uh, but he said that the result, I'm sorry to say, is that S- Saving Private Ryan seems almost banal in its achievement, a film that sacrifices humanity for technical wizardry. But this, again, this was the one... Like, there right. always has to be one, right, and right, this right. was the one who didn't quite like it. Quick questions came to mind. Does a Brit say banal differently? Do they say banal? No, I'm pretty sure it's banal okay, every time, we'll but I have said it wrong uh, in I the past. I have said it wrong many, many times. Yeah. All right, Metacritic Reviews. A 100, Michael Wimmington from the Chicago Trib. A watershed picture for both Spielberg and war movies. Again, with the Metacritic reviews, almost all of them were positive, uh, and there was a whole bunch of them in there. The one that was mixed, uh, as it were, and they, they rate this as a 50, is from Jonathan Rosenbaum from Chicago Reader that says, nothing that suggests an independent vision unless you count seeing more limbs blown off than usual. Well, there were a lot of limbs blown off, but mostly only in the first scene. It just seems a little shallow review. But that's yeah. my opinion on the review. Right. So in the hoi polloi, uh, great Bialo, B-E-A-L-L-O, Ten in middle school. In middle school, some friends and I would have movie night every week. As we watched this particular film, I began to cry. I was overwhelmed by the sacrifice these characters were making in an attempt to rescue a solitary soldier. I felt strange crying in front of my friends, but I realized in that moment that great cinema evokes great emotion. And then I scoured the hoi polloi reviews, and guess who we found again? Spangle! <laughs> Cheers to Spangle. Oh, we got. We don't have enough glasses uh, plastic, to It's all plastic. To him. We can't even clink them Spangle sp- said, A phenomenal film while extremely graf- graphic. It's nice to see a war film that does not sugarcoat anything, and this certainly does not sugarcoat a thing. It's Nothing. tragic, tormenting, and a mixture of being impersonal and personal. And all of these things, all of the things it should be, ultimately, it's hard to think of how a war film. Could be done better. To com- to complement those, we do have someone who was not so happy and, about and it. And let me just add some context. That yeah. As I was looking through the negative reviews from the hoi polloi, the non-professional mm-hmm. v- reviewers, that they, they, they tended to be in a couple categories. Right. One was that the movie was too slow for them, that they mm-hmm. didn't like it. I've heard starts off fast, slow in the middle, finishes yeah. with a bang. They didn't, they didn't, like, they, they didn't like the walking uh, that happened later on, and yeah, then when they're the trudging other, through the countryside. Then the other people who didn't like the film didn't like its treatment of German soldiers because huh. it said like you're 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 pretending German soldiers aren't good, like okay. that that they're bad. 
Okay. Um, this review right here was the was one where I was like, all right, I want to give a fair assessment to a negative review. Billy Bobby. And I thought Billy Bobby had um, a justifiable position. Position. So right. go ahead and yeah. Rated it as a three and said this is a typical Hollywood movie with lots of flash and no substance. Or but no substance. The story is a joke, and the characters are as one-dimensional as you can get. There's lots of big explosions, blood, body parts, so if that's your thing, this is for you. But if you're looking for something more, you'd best look elsewhere. Try Platoon, Thin Red Line, The Dirty Dozen, or even a Patton for a more worthwhile experience. There's nothing wrong with Billy Bobby's opinion here. Nope. I mean, I can argue words and his thought, or his or her thought, on the movie... Um, I don't. I don't have to agree with their review, but yeah. this is their perspective, and yeah. they're, they're they're saying this is why. Now, uh, Adventures in Videoland did run a uh, a poll and asked, like, what is your favorite war movie? Right. And people chimed in for a whole bunch of different things, and and this review from Billy Bobby uh, had, definitely says, like, I prefer those types. Those other movies than this type. Yep. Uh, that said, uh, I collected a couple of different uh, reviews from our AV poll. Uh, no, well, oh. these are just comments from Video Landers. Oh, okay, but yeah. about 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 Saving Private Ryan, not that's, about war movies that, in general. That's correct. So, Katie uh, Weida says, "Is it Weida? Is it Weida or Weida?" Yep. I don't want to say the name wrong. Uh, says, "Not sure. It was intense. Uh, one of the earlier scenes where the injured soldier was screaming for his mommy kind of wrecked me. I had a hard time watching the movie. Although that doesn't make it bad or unworthy of Pantheon. I'll have to think about it." And, per, and maybe rewatch it. Scott Forbes said if it was just based on the first hour, then I'd say yes. But after the epic beach scene, it just becomes an okay film about a bunch of guys walking around. <laughs> uh, Zach Brown says, Finally, a movie I can officially say yes to. Epic in every way. Doesn't make my top ten, but it's definitely Pantheon. I'd put Schindler's List ahead of it, though, in the general genre. Uh, Giselle Butler said this film had to be one of the bloodiest opening scenes of a movie I had ever seen. I snuck into this to see this with my best friend in middle school. Fantastic film. I believe it would be a disgrace to not include it in the Pantheon. The set pieces, cinematography, direction, story, and acting and everything. Really, it's an incredible war film. I need to rewatch it. It's been a hot minute. And uh, George Kukuris. Kukuris said... I would think it is, he's saying, worthy of Pantheon. It's one of those films pretty much everyone has heard of, even if they haven't seen it. And Brendan Robertson said, I'm a big history buff. In addition to being a movie fan, I think Saving Private Ryan is one of the most realistic, best written and best directed war movies ever made. I love A Bridge Too Far, The Longest Day, Full Metal Jacket, and Apocalypse Now. But I seriously think Spielberg may have had, may have made a perfect film. It's so good. It spawned Band of Brothers. Got got to count for something. Now you would watch Band of Brothers. Uh, you're a big fan of that. As I've well, seen right? that one many many times. And and we were just talking, you know, uh, earlier uh, this week. And I had pointed out that uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, was so moved in his experience with uh, Saving Private Ryan that is one of the inspirations for spawning off Band of Brothers, and he was very much involved in that as well. All right, uh, receipts. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, 1998, box office domestic, $216,541,000 
uh, foreign was almost the same. Yep. Doubled internationally. Uh, production budget was $70 million. And we have uh, adapted here, adopt, uh, excuse me, in, uh, developed here on the companion series, the Butts in Seats Index. Trademark. Trademark copyright reserved. Uh, 1998's average ticket price was for movies was four sixty nine. So doing a little quick little math, carry the one, divide by seven. Uh, Butts and Seats Index for Saving Private Ryan was forty six million. Domestic. Domestic. Forty six million people here in the U.S. Uh, watched Saving Private Ryan. I gotta be Ryan. honest, that surprised me a little bit. I thought it would be higher, higher. than that, mm-hmm. but forty six. But it but it comes like it's about a hundred million overall. You know, Butts and Seats like across yeah, across globally. Everything. But you know, here's the other thing. I think Saving Private Ryan has done far better. Uh, uh, after its release, with yeah. like Memorial Day marathons, I know that Saving Private Ryan was on back to back for I think three days yeah. on one of my cable channels. Uh, it's certainly a lot more people have seen it than forty six million. But we're just talking about theater receipts. Now we had Let's talked, them, yeah, we had talked ahead. about Kubrick last yes. time, and I left this one on the list right here that we had chatted about two thousand one, a Space Odyssey from nineteen sixty eight. How did it? So it had a domestic gross of fifty six point seven million, with an mm. average ticket price of one one dollar and thirty one cents. So it had a butts and seats index of forty three point two million, just three million less. So it like they're Pretty they're very the comparable. Yeah. So yeah. Space Odyssey and Saving Private Ryan, very so comparable. Now, Raiders of the Lost Ark, another Steven Spielberg movie. Uh, domestic gross two hundred twelve million. Ticket price in nineteen eighty one when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out was two seventy eight. Uh, so butts and seats index seventy six million. Like one and a half times more than Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, not that not that forty six million was you know anything to scoff at, but yeah. seventy six million. And seven, and that is also that that is currently on the list of Pantheon. Yes. Uh, and also on Pantheon, Jurassic Park from 1993, with a domestic gross of 357 million, ticket price of a little over four dollars, has a butts and seats index of 86 million. That's what you get when you spare no expense. Yeah. Yep. 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 And E.T. Uh, again, Spielberg, 1982, domestic gross, uh, well over 359 million dollars, foreign more than double. Uh, budget of making it was around ten million, ten and a half million. The ticket price in nineteen eighty two average about two ninety four, a hundred twenty two million people. I accounted personally for twenty million of those. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So and that so that is rough. That's about three times Triple. more. Yep. Than Saving Private Ryan yeah. was well, in the think, theater. If you think about it, you know Saving Private Ryan probably not a family movie. You're not going to take your whole family to it. You would take your whole family to see E.T. I could see just from the the potential audience why E.T. would have triple. Now, fun fact: uh, not even so. E.T. was huge. Yep. Not even the biggest of nope. the Spielberg films that we're looking at today. Nope. Uh, Jaws in nineteen Jaws nineteen seventy five yeah. domestic gross two hundred sixty million average ticket price a little over two dollars. Butts and seats, hundred and twenty-seven million. Now, just a little fact there: Jaws was Spielberg's first real major uh, yeah. time he was given control, and was they tried to take it away from him many, many times. Jaws was what put him on the map, and it's why he got the ability to make yeah. movies pretty much however he wanted to in the future. Uh, so again. Yeah. Jaws, another film that's already on Pantheon. Already on Pantheon, and I did see Jaws as a child. 
I sat in a theater and watched it three times back to back. I'm pretty sure I only bought one ticket though. So yeah, this came Jaws came out the year I was born, right there, nineteen seventy five. That dates you right up. So uh, I didn't like it the first time I saw it. it was probably because scary. I was my pants were filled with poop. <laughs> And, and talk about severed limbs. No. There were two scenes with no. severed limbs and jaws. Fun fact: every subsequent viewing, my pants were also filled with poop. <laughs> Just while like watching Jaws. Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Every time I watch it, I cry. Have, have every you... time Doug watches Jaws, his <laughs> pants are filled with poop. Have you seen this cool thing that like you can watch Jaws while like they like they have this big flooded pool and you sit. At night, in the water, in the water, on a tube, watching I Jaws. That. I would do it. I was like, they should fill that pool with minnows. <laughs> the kind that eat the dead skin yeah, off your feet. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah. No, in Jaws, the third time we watched it, my friends and I went and bought milk duds and warmed them up in our hands and then flung them at the screen uh, every time the shark showed up. So, yeah, yeah. fun fact. Yeah. All right. A little section we like to call Gary and Doug's take uh, on the film. Let's start with, Doug, let's start with uh, uniqueness. How is this film unique? Well, so this is, of the films that we've looked at this season mm -hmm. in Pantheon, yep. that this film is a, is a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Like the to, yeah. ma to to make it different than anything else that not not that Pantheon hasn't looked at blockbusters they before, have. but this is this the season. first legitimate this season blockbuster that we've looked at. Um, so I, I I guess if we're talking about it, we have to talk about it in terms of like to be part of it. Is it like as a blockbuster, does it do its job? Um, well, does it? Yeah, I well, I, I think I mean like we we just talked we about just the talked numbers, about how it did, yeah, but but also. Um, as another uniqueness that it is a historical fiction, mm -hmm. so it has to rely on a certain level of accuracy to the, like, does it portray accurately the thing that it's trying to portray? Right. And, like, for us to judge this film, a part of us judging this film would also have to be on, does it do its job? As a historical document, even right. though it's fiction, right. does it do its job? Do they pay, play fast and loose with history or, or not? Well, you know? some of the criticisms, you already mentioned at least one, the film uh, does not portray uh, 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 soldiers fighting on the side of Germany. And they weren't all German, they were Polish and, and Czech and others, but doesn't portray those soldiers uh, in a very nice light. Yep. Now, uh, I'm not arguing the point, but from the opposite point of view, looking at that... Uh, the film was shot from the point of view of the American soldiers who were just hoping to get through and go back home again, including Private Ryan. Uh, it was so much death going on. The you know the 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 fact that the that the German soldiers at the seawall during the uh, the uh, Omaha Beach invasion that they were just ruthlessly they were doing as they were told, but they were just ruthlessly just mowing down as many American soldiers yeah. as possible. That's not fiction. That is that is what happened. Yeah. And so, you know, you can understand at least at some point the reaction of the soldiers who made it through that invasion. They did not treat the Germans well, and they viewed the German soldiers or soldiers fighting for Germany. Uh, they viewed those soldiers as less than human. It's something that, that soldiers must yeah. be trained to do in order to do their job. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from one point or another. But that that actually is part of the challenge of of this as a nomination for Pantheon as well, kind of a sub-point here, is that uh, while it's unique in its, in, its, in its perspective on 
the way it looks at the opponent, the opposing uh, military. This also makes it a challenge for nomination for Pantheon because of how much death, destruction, slaughter. Yeah. And it's not slaughter like, you know, blowing up aliens. We're talking other human beings who are losing their lives one after the next after the next. So I think that that uh, is a challenge for this as a nomination of Pantheon is that if you're not into war movies, you wouldn't consider this essential viewing at all. Yeah, like I know for like I know if I asked my wife to watch this film again, she mm. would probably balk at it. Like she she would say like, eh, like we watched it the first time in 1998, and right. like that first 20 minutes right. was just too much. When I watch this movie at home, my wife will uh, will ask from the other room if the beach scene is over with before she comes to sit in the room with me. And while she's not watching the movie, she's tolerating me watching the movie. She doesn't want to sit in the room during the beach. Yeah, scene. yeah. She doesn't really like the last scene either, but um, she finds it. Um, she it's finds not as it, a, it's not as yeah. like offensive. Like, and I'm using the term like offensive. I'm with you. Generally, like it is not a, a full on affront to your senses. Right. Where that first that like that first scene is just so much. You are on the beach, and yeah. stuff is happening around you. Okay, uh, deep dig here. Some special concepts. I have some things that I wanted to talk about. Sure. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about uh, in a deep dig? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the one of the critiques, and, and like, um, I don't have specific article. Like, uh, like in the past couple of these ch- chats, I've mentioned some academic articles and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I did looking look, at looking at points and, yeah. and concepts and. And maybe theories or whatever around it. So and I looked up a couple of them, and, and uh, the articles kind of like for the ones that I found fell into a couple of camps. One was arguing about the historicity and accuracy of the film. Yeah. Um, that another big area of of um, critique of the film was t- was chatting about uh, the good war phenomenon. Oh yeah. Where. Um, World War Two, for whatever reason, in our minds that we have as a North American culture, uh, U.S. Americans, right, mm-hmm. have adopted as that is an example of clear good guys and clear bad guys, and um, the movie is played very much in a sense of we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, mm-hmm. and you can very clearly tell the difference. Yep, um, and. The critique is that wars are, like, life is more complicated than that. that. You know, tied to that critique, uh, in the early parts of the movie, uh, uh, people make reference to, like, um, to, like, for example, you know, you, you know, they're talking to German soldiers, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish, like throwing it in the soldiers' faces. But the fact is, at that point in the war, not very many people knew about about yeah, the, atro- that the atrocities. atrocities have not and come even out if yet. they known that they were doing something with the Jewish uh, I'm not I'm not totally convinced and I can be historically wrong here I'm not totally convinced I didn't buy it even the first time I saw the movie that that by throwing that in a German or Polish or Czechoslovakian soldier's face that you would be doing anything I'm not even sure that the American soldiers would have bothered um, but and that's also one of the critiques. When people talk about the accuracy or the historicity of the of the movie, they say, you know, that that probably wasn't a thing. Yeah. So you know, that's one of those pieces there, right? And then there are those articles about that. I saw some articles talking about the effects of this movie on people who either experienced 
World War II, Omaha Beach, yeah. or anything, or on the families of the like the next generation down, the children of those soldiers who they may have come back, but they watched their family member go through the post-war uh, trauma, the dealing with what they had seen and done. Um, and so, you know, at least one article, I think it was two, uh, research article, they actually were talking to those people, talking about how this movie affected them, and then a little more how other movies like this affected them. So, um, this afternoon, I called my dad. Uh, my dad was in Vietnam. He's not old enough, like, I, he's not old enough to be in World War II. That no. would have been my grandpa. Yeah. Um, my grandpa couldn't get in there because he had ear problems and that sort but of stuff. But those are the generations but, we're talking but, about. But my father did serve in Vietnam at, like, in Vietnam. Right. He, he was, was not, he was not a combat soldier. He was a staff sergeant uh, of supply, kind of like, a, like, like, he, 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 he dealt with, uh, like, Making sure that everybody had blankets and that sort of stuff, sure. as, as best as I understand it, as a as a kid of my dad, right? Sure. But I called him up and I, I I just wanted to know what was his experience as a military person watching this film, and uh, and his response to me was the I said so what what was it like you know as somebody who had been in the military watching this film, mm -hmm. and the first thing he said it was frightening. Like watching that first scene, mm -hmm. and, and, and like subsequent scenes and everything else, sure. of just interacting with an enemy combatant. But it was. Right. But he just said it was frightening. It was frightening of just the intensity of facing death and facing facing danger. Mm -hmm. And he just said it was scary, scary stuff. And like from his like, and he said like when he was chatting with me, he said like I didn't know this, but like Omaha Beach had like ninety percent casualty rates. Yeah, like, a lot. Like people just die, like were dying, and like the water was was literally blood. Yeah. And red with blood. You know, and like they show that in the film. Yep. And in the film, following the successful breach of the seawall, and we get up there, and you know we've we've taken over the area. Someone asks. Uh, Tom Hanks' character to kind of review casualties, and uh, people have argued that this is this is an inaccuracy in the movie. But what his character does is he he lays it out and minimizes what it sounds like is the repercussions yeah. of this. And I remember the first time I heard him saying, "Oh, it's this many, this many ki, you know, this many killed, this many wounded, uh, this many. We still have this many." And I remember thinking to myself, "Those numbers don't jive with the scene we just watched." Yeah, but. Uh, in fact, later on, he explains why he relates things to his superiors the way he does yeah. is because that's how things are done in the military. You have to talk about the positives of what you have because otherwise people don't move forward. Yeah. If you get to the top of the wall and you turn around and realize 8 out of 10 people who started died and there's 2 out of 10 left over, you're not going to want to move forward. Yeah. So yeah. you, you got to keep going forward. So like with... With my dad, like, because he wasn't facing combat, he didn't, like, have to face death all the time. But while he was out there, he said that there was a moment, um, like, they, that he saw, I don't know if he saw it happen or saw the aftermath of it, but that there was a tank that was going down the street and a kid walked out of the, the, the rice paddies or the right. field or the, and the tank whatever. Didn't stop. Tank didn't stop, didn't see him. The kid got hit by it yeah. and they just saw... The aftermath, the aftermath of this, and it's like that stay like that yep. stays with you right forever. Like seeing that level of carnage, right? 
sticks with you. It sticks with you, and it affects you. And and, and we see that in the movie we where do. Tom Hanks starts like like he's got shell shock. He's got shell shock, and his hand is like his left hand is shaking. Shaking. So going from that and moving forward, you know, I would say the vast majority of people who maybe be listening to this podcast or who watched the movie would not have experienced that. So a decision that I believe Spielberg not only made intentionally but but uh, did it repeatedly was to have us get to know characters and then personally, one-on-one, face-to-face, like we're sitting next to them holding their hand, experience their death. Yeah. So uh, of the main characters from, from, the, uh, from the movie, I have one, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. These are all main, main characters who, who died during the movie. Uh, one of the first ones was Vin Diesel's character. And, and can I just pause yeah, and say, it. like, this list that you have here, and yeah. we'll chat about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we walk through, but yeah. he does this even before we get to know these yes. named characters. He does early on. On the beach, that we, we meet somebody, and then we see them get shot, and they're gone. Right. We see somebody, and they drown. Yes. We see somebody, and and, uh, and they're chatting with somebody, and then their face is gone. Right. Uh, they're, they're on the, the, the landing vehicle, and there's all the faces there, and you're, you're just starting to get comfortable with, all right, these are the people, I guess we're going to get to know all these people, and almost none of those people make it onto the sand. That's right. Yeah. So right. Uh, back to the list. All right, here. Back to the list. Adrian Caparzo, that's Vin Diesel's character. First role by Vin Diesel. His first one. Yeah. And it was a very big role. Uh, he was attempting to save a little French girl, uh, even though he was being told repeatedly not to do what he was doing. He ends up being shot by a sniper and used as bait to try to draw out other characters. And we, it wasn't a one shot and he was gone moment. Uh, it was very drawn out and, and like, very dramatic. His lines between him and Tom Hanks of saying like we should at least be trying to save this girl, and he's like we should at least like we should at least we should be following orders. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 we watch him as very drawn out. And then scene. and then later says this is why we follow orders. This is why we follow orders because obviously because he was he was killed. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi, one of my favorite actors by yeah. the way. I love him in a lot of different things. Uh, plays a character called Irwin Wade. He's the medic. And uh, Tom Hanks makes the decision to, instead of skipping a machine gun uh, nest, he could have just gone around it. Instead of leaving that there to ambush somebody else, uh, uh, he he decides even though this wasn't their direct uh, mission, they're going to take it out. And Giovanni Ribisi's character, Irwin Wade, is shot. And we are all standing there. I say we because I experience movies in first person. We're all standing there uh, around him while he's trying to tell the other characters what to do to save himself uh yeah. and and he he ends up dying uh, when right this there. scene happened i was like side quest <laughs> right yes <laughs> yeah uh private wilson private wilson uh, uh played by steve griffin uh a lot of people don't really catch that that <laughs> that private wilson was there and then just kind of gone because it was so fast uh, later on, during the Battle of Rommel, at the very end, towards the very end, he is retreating. He was told, "Okay, retreat, go to the other side of the bridge." And while he's running across the bridge, a character we'll talk about in a minute, Steamboat Willie. It's a German character that they met at the machine gun nest yeah. and decided to let go and hike back and, and turn yeah. himself in or whatever. Steamboat Willie is back in action and shoots. We actually watch him uh, load the round, take aim, 
and take out uh, Private Wilson right there on the bridge. Well, you'll get to this in a moment. Yes. He's also the one who takes the fatal shot for on Tom Captain Hanks. On, on Tom Hanks. That is yeah. correct. He takes the final shot. Arguably, Tom Hanks' character wouldn't have survived what had happened to him anyway, yeah. but that was the capstone right there. Barry Pepper, another one of my favorite actors. The Sniper. Uh, the Sniper, uh, who has a, a, a role in almost every single successful uh, a mission and scene that they go through. He's up in a uh, up in a tower, a church tower, kind of guiding them uh, along, and he's uh, doing his job as a sniper as well. Taken out by the tank. A tank blows the whole tower up. Him and a, and another another uh, soldier were up in that up in the uh, tower. Mike Horvath, Tom Sizemore. This is this character is, uh, and I asked you earlier, and I'm going to ask you again. This this character is my uh, spirit animal for this movie. Like this is who I was watching the movie. I wasn't Tom Hanks. I was uh, Tom Sizemore's character, Mike Horvath, the sergeant. Uh, he gets shot repeatedly, and they ask him if he's okay, and he's like, "Nope, he's got the wind knocked out of me." He's actually shot repeatedly over like about forty-five minutes. I of the love movie. that scene where he just like it, like they're face to face with the other guy. Yeah, tries to shoot the gun. They both shoot each they other. Both the they, guns misfire. Then he throws his hat. And they throw their guns at each other. Then they throw. He throws his helmet at the other yeah, guy. Yeah. He's just gonna fight till his last breath. He ends up on the bridge, uh, staggering, and they're like, are you all right? And he's like, no, I got the wind knocked out of me. He sits down and passes while the camera's on him. Uh, this one is the one that my wife always says is a scene that she she can't bear this scene. Mellish. Mellish. Uh, he is Adam Goldberg. He is in he's a He's the room. one who's saying, Juden, I'm Juden. I'm Juden, I'm Juden. That's right. He's yelling it at the, at the German soldiers. He ends up in hand-to-hand combat in a this, room, in a, in a house. This is the most personal death. The most personal death. And in this battle, back and forth battle with the German soldier, uh, I tried to look up what the German soldier was saying. Uh, and I, re- I found like four different translations, so I gave up on that. But the, uh, the German soldier ends up getting the best of it and very slowly, very deliberately... Pushes a knife into his The knife chest. that Mellish had in his pocket. It was, yeah. a, it was a, a, a Nazi youth knife they had found earlier in the movie. Pushes it directly into his chest and he, and he passes. And that soldier, Ugh. on the way down, after having gone through... Like, this is the one where... This is the anti-message to the good war where uh-huh. you say the German soldiers are human because after he kills... Uh, after he kills Mellish uh-huh. and is walking down the stairs, he sees he, he sees he sees Upham and just he's he's so thunderstruck by the the horrific death that he just caused yep. that he just passes him by. He doesn't even see Upham as a threat, and even if he did, he was just going to walk past. And him anyway. you had said earlier that that your uh, person was my spirit uh, animal was mm-hmm. was Tom Sizemore's yep. Horvath. Mm-hmm. Mine is Upham, yep. the guy who just. Shouldn't be there in the first place, and like his whole like he's more of an intellectual type. He he really shouldn't. He's their translator. He shouldn't be sake. seeing like any sort of battle, and how he's many, just saying like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap!" And how many times did Hanks have to tell him to put the freaking typewriter yeah, down? I mean, yeah, because that's what he was going to carry. That's instead of my a gun. spirit animal. In I'm the movie. with you. I'm with you. John Miller, Tom Hanks' character, uh, wasn't the last to die. But certainly he was one of the more memorable ones as he defended the bridge to his very last breath at the Battle of Rommel. Uh, at the very last bit of that battle uh, is shot repeatedly. And his last shot that takes him out is from uh, Steamboat Willie, played by Jorg Stadler. Uh, and um, uh, Upham actually uh, executes him. Yeah, No and question. And again, like 
No question. Spirit animal. Yes. If I had watched everything that happened and I watched that German soldier that I I got to know and I let go and he got back into service. You and then convinced he the my, captain to let him go. Yeah, and then he killed the, my captain that I was like, no, I get it. He put him out. Like, I, <laughs> I can't say that I would have done it, but I get it. Yeah. And oh. if I was there, I might have done it myself. Might have done it yourself. So uh, th- that moment for Oppum, although he didn't die in the movie... Uh, was the moment for him when it became very personal. It was no longer, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. It was, I'm a soldier. Yeah. And I've captured these Germans. Oh, wait, there's that guy. Yeah. And just takes him out. Doesn't even let him say anything, really, besides just trying to beg for whatever. All right. So that's, you know, for me, uh, oh, not that I want to just talk about death this whole this whole uh, uh, podcast, but you can't go through a war movie without, without you know, seeing yeah. death. But on the other hand, Spielberg made this choice, as I said, for us to get to know these characters and personally, intimately experience their deaths. Yeah, and I one think of, that was fantastic choice on his part. One of the things that Spielberg really wanted to lean into was that these weren't like other war movie, war movies have like caricatures of like the wacky guy, yeah, and yeah. this guy, the yeah, hard the, guy, the inner city guy, yeah, and the country like, bumpkin. But like all of his were very intentional, like people you'd know. Well, I mean, Tom and, Hanks' character was an yeah. English literature teacher at a high school. Yeah, and middle like, school. And, and the comment was along the line of like, if we ever forget that these were all people named Ernie, Buck, and Robert, right, right, who were over there doing this stuff, then mm. we have lost the essence of what actually happened. Exactly. Uh, they were regular folk. Exactly, they were. They were. All right. <clears throat> we had talked about some of the arguments about the accuracy and historicity about the movie, the good war concept. Uh, let's break this down uh, and talk about some standout moments. Uh, by Actually, you know what? Before we do that, hold on. Yeah. Uh, this nomination from... Oh, you know what? Hey. Yeah. This nomination uh, from um, 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 Marshall Wade. Uh, you know, in some of these nominate, actually, you know what? In almost all these nominations, the the nominating council member has given us. Uh, we've been calling them a bribe. Bribes, yeah, we've been calling them bribes. Marshall Wade has sent us this beautiful uh, bribe, and in it, oh, I see. We have on on the table here some some camouflage cups. Camouflage I almost didn't cups. see them because they're, they're camouflage. And the table's green and they disappear. And we also have some uh, some novelty helmets. Some novelty that, helmets. They're not going to fit on your big old noggin, Mr. Biggity I have, a, I have a large skull. You, I, you know what? I'll, I'll wear it in a jaunty manner. You, but I do like it. I might give it to my grandson. That is. And there is there's an envelope that an envelope. comes with this as so well. So we have cups. These camouflage cups. Oh. We have camouflage helmets. And then I was told that Marshall took some time to research us personally. And to look at our Facebook pages and our our uh, our uh, personalities on the internet, our our, our internet oh, information, yeah. and he's had some dog tags made for us. Here That's we what go. I see their dog tags. Here, these and are yours. These are mine, and they have something personal on them. Yeah. What does yours say? Mine says Doug Prime, Adventures in Videoland, Saving Private Ryan, Second Lumberjack. The That's- second. That is the na- That is my uh, my tagline from my comedy troupe back when I was in college. Ah, there you go. Mine says Gary McFall Adventures in Videoland, Saving Private Ryan, and is that an an you, you H and a and a cloverleaf? Uh, H plus. H plus. 
Are you H plus? Uh, I'm H positive. Oh, it's, it's my religion. Are, are you? Am I H? I know. What's your say? Or about do you it? need to get tested because you're H plus? H positive. <laughs> I don't. Are you H positive? I don't know. And then they have these really oh, cool yeah. little, uh, little ring rubber things. ring ring covered thingies yeah. and a nice little chain. So they're personalized dog tags. That's fantastic. Oh, and you know what? Like, for every one of these times that I have brought a selection of drugs right. for us to try. We well, have, we, you know, we, I, I forgot baked, to mention that. I've baked acid for us. Well, hold on. Before you talk huge about... Huge piles of cocaine. That's right. I we brought the sink. drugs today. I brought the drugs today because usually Doug brings a mound of drugs. Yeah. So I thought I would bring the drugs today. So I made... Six and a half dozen, that's that's how many it made, pot brownies. Uh, and then also I brought, and you're going to love this, I'll set this out for you. This is a vat of acid tabs. We could just drop them until we use them all. You know what? That is going to go well with what I brought What for did you. you bring? I brought morphine. Ooh. <laughs> is it? Oh, look yeah. at the little oh, yeah, tabs. Here. Put, put one in my arm. Oh, oh, oh yeah, no, no, that's good. Oh, here, I just let me... Let me get one in your Oh, yeah. Oh, here. Give you, me another. Oh, oh, oh morphine. That's good. That's All good right. stuff right there. Thank you very thank much, you. Marshall. Marshall, thank you very much. I really appreciate these <laughs> gifts slash bribes. This is awesome. I am down with this. All right, cool. So I'm going to take another sip from my camouflage cup. And I'm going to take another hit of morphine. All righty. Oh. All right, cool. Let's move on. See if I can keep this so together. good. Let's talk about a breakdown and standout moment. Breakdown by category and some standout moments. Let's right. start with acting, the casting of the movie. Uh, what do you think? What is a standout moment? Well, as far as acting, yeah. I just want, and I, and I do believe that this was mentioned by Marshall in his write-up as well. When he made the it's, nomination. It's just that this is chock full of great actors. So, just In, a little side note. You, you mentioned right up. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, when when someone nominates a movie for Pantheon, they have to do a write up of uh, five hundred words to talk about why they nominate the movie. I think and then this the one was other, like a thousand words. Oh, he or loves more. this movie. The other, the other, but so do I. The other uh, uh, council members, when they vote yes or no, it's not just a simple vote. They also have to do a write-up. Yeah. So in his 500-word, at least, 5,000-word write-up for his nomination. Yeah, he said the cast is, is extensive, but I'm uh, but I'm going to list every damn one because I'm sure that there's someone you've forgotten. And he goes through the list. Yeah, this podcast talked, will be six and a half hours if we've, you read them. We've, we've talked about a number of these, but in addition to the ones we've mentioned already, yeah. that there are kind of guest appearances yeah. by... Ted Danson, Paul Giamatti, Dennis Farina, the guy from The Thing in the the mob movies that you watched. Um, Dylan Bruno, who's the main character brother in Numbers. Nathan Fillion Mm -hmm. from from Firefly. Uh, From Firefly, yeah. You've got uh, Leland Orser. By the way, Nathan Fillion's character in Firefly is also Private Ryan, but a different Private Ryan. And he plays a complete goof. Yeah, anyway. uh, you've got Leland Orser, who was on ER as Dr. Lucien Dubenko. Mm-hmm. You've got Ryan Hurst, who shows up as the deaf, uh, the guy who, like, his grenade had gone. He can't hear because the bomb went off next he, to his head. He's done bunches of stuff, but he was best known as Opie from Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
as I was watching it this time, I was like, oh my goodness, R- Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, and, and, and there were... Um, so, the the, the cast I list is incredible. Casting, they cast it well. Yeah. What were some of the standout acting moments from the movie that that uh, that really that really popped for you? Um. So like, I loved things like Matt Damon's little uh, speech. We didn't even say Matt Damon, but Matt yeah, Damon. Matt, 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 Matt Damon. Uh, I loved Matt Damon's little speech where he talks about his brothers. And yeah. That was all improvised. Oh, uh, uh, the story about the barn and the girl yeah, yeah, and the, yeah. almost set yeah. the barn on fire and the whole deal. That was fantastic. That was great. I mean, like, but we've mentioned. Like we've gone down the list and just incredible acting down the, and Tom mm-hmm. Hanks was uh, just amazing. Yeah, of course he was. Uh, he really was. Uh, I I think that uh, one of the fun things of this movie was um, Valerie Colgan, who we don't know from anything. She doesn't really have anything, any other picture uh, associated in her IMDb. Okay, but she plays the War Department clerk. The reason the whole movie exists. She's, she's the lady typing a letter, and then realizes, and she realizes she's seen that name before, yeah, and then she realizes that name has also shown up on somebody else's list, mm-hmm. and she's the one who puts it together. Who puts it together? She takes it to her boss, who takes it to their boss. Yeah. So, like, without the attention of detail that that one war clerk mm-hmm. had put together. That this whole movie just wouldn't exist. Right, it's a whole storyline. That's uh, what that's that that's the underlying thread drawing it all. Yeah. Uh, so, I as far as acting and casting, I think I think it was just casted so incredibly from well. one to five. Yeah, five. five. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about directing, editing, choices. I've talked a lot about Spielberg's choices in this movie. Uh, what do you think? Oh, again, five, uh, five out of five. I think so. A- and like little choices, like making. And Marshall mentioned this in his write-up that the sound goes in and out on the beach scene mm-hmm. where the camera goes underwater, right? And the sound goes out and then comes back up. But not just that, as if you're experiencing it when the when 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 an explosion happens near you, or I, certainly for Tom Hanks, that their hearing is out. And then yeah. it comes back in in such a kind of like a, a like a, almost a train going by, like kind of a wave. It comes right back fast. One of the moments that I caught this time that meant something to me more than it did in the past was Tom Hanks after the invasion when he's sitting when everybody is just kind of like there's a guy shaving and like um, the and other guy's Malik's eating a crying. sandwich. Malik's crying. Like so, like but he's just looking at the normalcy. Of like everybody who was not indeed the yeah. the invasion comes after, and oh. then these people are eating a sandwich and they're shaving right, right, and they're right, right. they're chatting. But the 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 disparity, the juxtaposition between the the violence of the day of the day before, mm-hmm. as it were, like yeah, let's say it's the day before, and now the new wave, right. Yeah, and they even showed, uh, in, in one of those scenes, they showed, it was like a handful of guys that had come up the beach during the invasion, sitting right near a group of guys who just come on uh, and, and had marched up the hill uh, yeah. unopposed, and how different they, they looked. Uh, cinematography, film, and location, anything about that that you'd like to bring up? So I, so I love the fact that they stripped down the color 
and they lower the shutter speed on the camera so that mm-hmm. it looks more like film footage from the 1940s. Yeah, not quite exactly shaky, jerky, but but the the tone, yeah. the tone and the texture of the. Of and the fun fact about this is that like Directv customers and like other people and cable customers complained about the, the color was off. Yeah. So Directv had taken it on itself. To up the color back into the movie because people were like, "This doesn't look right." Oh no! But I just thought it was great, and like, uh, like in addition to the fact that like it was just the sets were amazing, mm. but they also built that that final scene set, that, city. that French city, yeah. from scratch at I think it's the Hartford. Uh, or like it's a, in a British airfield in England, yeah, in England that they built that city and they used that city in at least two, if not three, cityscape scenes. Uh, they destroyed it uh, at the end for the for the Battle of Rommel, but um, uh, Rommel, sorry, the Battle of Rommel. But um, uh, at least one other time uh, that they, they were in that same city, but they were just sort of on the other side, so the perspective looked completely different. I mean, why build two cities anyway? But but um, yeah, that was uh, pretty cool. That was a great set piece they did there. Um, the set piece, the the, the field, uh, they spent a lot of time looking for that field with the machine gun nest. Yeah. It had to have just the right mix of of uh, of enough of rolling hills, so like where Oppum was. From that perspective, you couldn't see. You could only hear the whole battle for the machine gun nest. You heard it from Oppum's perspective because he didn't actually fight. He was back in the back holding out of the extra gear, and then. Uh, running up the field, it was slight up incline uh, up to where uh, uh, the yeah. medic was shot. That I, was a whole different. I appreciated, and these aren't these aren't uh, local. These aren't like just to this movie alone, but they're right. war movie shots of the silhouetted group coming over the hill, coming over a hill, or the silhouetted group walking. Right. Uh, so like the like the soldiers are separated by a number of feet, but you just kind of see the silhouettes right. of them moving. Those are like um, just great shots to for me. They were great shots to put me in the mood of a war film. Mm-hmm. Like like it was it was part of the aesthetic. Right. I, like um, I got to say, it was the second time through before I even noticed the score. I was so busy experiencing the movie that the score for me the first time watching it way back when. It didn't click with me that that was a John Williams score, or that there was all that much there. Was... I, I got to be honest, like so, John, like the of the things that are related to this movie that mm-hmm. are off the chart, mm-hmm. and I think uh, not to show my like show my cards too much. No, no. But like the one area of this movie where I'm like, meh, the John Williams score it was very downplayed. It was very downplayed. Like I like. Like if I just right now go dun dun dun, dun. right? You know exactly yeah. what you're gonna listen to, exactly, <laughs> yeah, like, right? You know dun, what you're listening. Dun 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 dun. Right. Like like and I don't even know if that's John Williams or not, but uh, I believe it. It probably is. But but this film, if you ask me to like hum a few bars, no. I can't remember. So you know, it's something you mentioned earlier, and this, by the way, this is where I picked up the score. People people think about this movie, and if you said to them, oh, in that first scene, they'll say the Omaha Beach scene. But that isn't the first scene. Yeah. The first scene is the old guy, we don't know who it is, walking across the cemetery yeah. with, with family, uh, like kids, grandkids, and he's walking through looking for a specific headstone, and then the scene zooms in on his face, and then that's where you go back, and you go back in time with him remembering... This whole uh, this whole uh, uh, thing. 
So um, that scene was heavily scored. And at the end, we're back with him and his family and uh, in that field, and uh, in, in a cemetery in France there, the American Cemetery in France, and you realize who that old guy is, right? Yeah. And um, that one's heavily scored. Um, the the other musical parts, like if I if I could remember what that song was that the woman was they were playing the album Edith Piaf yeah that if I could, but if I could hum that tune you'd be like oh yeah that's that tune from yeah. but I don't even remember that tune that's how minimized it was that obviously wasn't John Williams but the point is that uh, the parts of the movie that were heavily scored were not necessarily battle scenes, fight yeah. scenes, any of that kind of stuff. I don't think it needed to be, but no. it also, like, the score didn't stand out, but it didn't detract. Didn't detract. Um, as far as screenplay is concerned, like, just talk about, like, right. the the script, the writing. Right. Um, I thought it was serviceable. I, I actually thought it was a little more than that. I really liked the way that they slow-played the character development who was Tom Hanks' character? You know, they even they even joked about it amongst themselves. Yeah. There was a pool to figure out what his history was, what he did for a living, and where he came from, because he was so sort of generic captain officer. Yeah. Uh, but um, I liked that. I liked the Oppum character. I liked. I, I know he was the bad guy. The Steamboat Willie character was it, it was played just right. You know, it was written well. Yeah. The things that he said and did. And and, and, and maybe saying serviceable no, is, no, I'm is too low. But I would say like the dialogue, the dialogue took a second second fiddle or a, a passenger seat to the action Acting of the movie. And the action, yeah, I get you. Um, uh, but there were moments of uh, uh, powerful moments, like and 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 I got to be honest, like the line at the end uh, made me break down and cry. Of tell me I've tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a lived good, a good life. life. Yeah. Like, and earn this. Like, yeah. all that said, there was nothing that happened in the film that was su- surprising. Right. Like, well, it, like, it's it, like, like watching Titanic. You no, knew it was yeah, gonna happen. I know, like, I knew it was going to happen. Like, but, like, even, even, even the twist on Private Ryan not wanting to leave his brothers right. was something that I anticipated. Anticipated. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just saying, like, um, that there there like there was nothing that was way that was mind blowing got you about yeah. the dialogue gotcha. like it was i would still say like 4.5 out of 5 right. stars you're not saying it was 2 or 3 you're just saying it wasn't 5 yeah all right special effects this is where it goes like this goes all in and i so this movie was made in 1998 yep and i watched it again in 2019 and i could watch it again in 2059 how could they have done it and and this movie will this movie will stand up like other movies uh some of the marvel movies block, uh, like black panther everybody loved black panther yep. but the cgi scene in act 3 that's gonna fall. That like the falling fight scene yeah. into the into the mag, maglev tracks. Or in whatever. ten yeah. in ten years, people are gonna go yeah. like that. Even some of the space scenes. Uh, uh, even some of the space scenes in, in movies like Marvel movies and, and other movies where you know the, the ships flying by, the battles, the whatever. You're gonna be like, well, they're doing that better now or whatever. But they really. But look, I was thinking about this. The reliance on practical effects practical and this effects. movie just like. It was all practical effects. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, there there may have been CG in there that I'm not aware of. Uh, maybe we can go research that. Somebody can go research that. But that's not the point. The CG wasn't in your face. Somebody's face wasn't morphing to another character. Yeah. It wasn't like that at all. It was it was it was spot on. And I thought the special effects in this movie were directly to to telling the story or to make you experience what was happening in the story. And they were done in such a way that will stand the test of time. I agree. Uh, and even even the one time where they transition Matt Damon's face to the old guy, where you finally realize that that is also a practical effect uh, yeah. of just transitioning the film. Simple transition. Yeah. And that may have been a little CGI, but I'm just saying there wasn't like a ton of it. Like most of the like limbs being blown off, people flying around, those were practical special effects done by stunt people. Someone who actually only had one arm was walking around looking for their missing arm, that kind of a thing. Uh, wasn't green screened or whatever. So they did green screen some of the very large See, like they 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 would film you know the beach with all of those ships out on the ocean. They didn't recreate that by bringing in like seven thousand. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Ships. But they 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 did that. But but I'm just saying most of it was practical effects. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about some awards uh, for Saving Private Ryan. So uh, Academy Awards nominations. That, that it got eleven nominations mm-hmm. and it won five of the eleven that it was nominated for. Now, when something gets eleven nominations, there's going to be some categories that you're like, "Oh, okay," like you know, makeup and and uh, art sure. director, yeah, or original dramatic score. But still, five Academy Awards. That yeah, year. that's a lot. nothing to sneeze at. That's now, Cabaret lot. got more. It did. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! But uh, it did lose Best Picture to Shakespeare in Love. Matthew mentions that in his write-up yeah. as well. I think his what was his, what was his reaction to that? I think I think it was something like WT something something. Yeah, I don't think we can res- I don't think we can uh, say it. On what the air. holy heck? Yeah, or something like that. Uh, and there, if you look this up, like if you Google uh, why didn't Saving Private Ryan win Best Picture, you'll see a lot of articles that talk about. The, uh, the Harvey Weinstein uh, uh, propaganda mm-hmm. uh, push for Shakespeare in Love, sure. winning that. Um, that year, there like in a, I, I put down a couple of movies. Oh, that, he said something nice about Harvey Weinstein, too. Matthew did, yeah. Did he? I think he did, yeah. Something like, um, God bless you, Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. no the yeah. opposite of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so other movies that year that uh, it did have to contend with, mm-hmm. and I thought you'd appreciate this list, Life is Beautiful. That's with uh, Roberto Benigni. Which also won some Academy Awards. And that was fantastic and also same time period. I think Best Actor. Thin Red Line. Another war movie, Elizabeth. I saw that in the theater as well and that was hard to watch. So this movie. Not Elizabeth. So this year also Truman Show. Mm, Great American History X. Gods and Monsters. Primary Colors. What Dreams May Come. Pleasantville. Armageddon. Boom. Prince of Egypt. And uh, one of your favorites, Babe, Pig in the City. Prince of Egypt. Wasn't that yeah, it was a nomination. Pantheon nomination, I believe did, it was. I don't think it made it. It did not make it, no. Um, Babe, big in the city, that'll do. Yeah, that'll <laughs> do. Uh, All right. And it got a handful of Golden Globes and Critics' Choice and other regional awards, like the like you know New York, New York Critics and that sort of stuff. Right. Um, so one of my favorite lines, and we, we didn't chat about this, one of my favorite <laughs> little like comedic lines from the movie is like, they're, they're attacking the village and there's this... Uh, German voice coming over the loudspeaker that yeah. and he's like what is it saying and he's like 
It's saying the, st the Statue of Liberty is kaput. Oh, actually, it's saying it in German and then in English. Yeah. In English. The Statue of Liberty is kaput. Freedom <laughs> is kaput. And, and, and Tom Hanks is like, what is he saying? He's like, oh, that's 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 concerning. That's, that's Mary Sunshine or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The uh, so the uh, the other thing that and we can't explain the term because we have a PG thirteen rating, but they come back to the word foobar. Now they say that word a few times. That it, I'm, I'm thinking it means uh, that something is no longer worthwhile or or functioning as designed. Uh, so I watched the television edit of this, and I'm pretty sure that foobar means forgotten up beyond all recognition yeah forgotten forgotten it's it, 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 let's just be let's be straight it is effed up beyond all recognition so so here's here's a, and i was looking this up the spanish language version of this because mm -hmm. foobar is an english phrase sure that the spanish language version is translated as famare famare which means fallado y Machicado sin remedio, which well, is I think that means effed and crushed without a remedy. <laughs> you know what? That means the same thing. Fumare! Fumare! As they say in their language, Fumare! That almost sounds Italian the way I said it. Good thing I am good at accents. Oh, All absolutely. Right. From absolutely. the DreamWorks page, just some talking about the movie and the making of it. The sequence depicting Omaha Beach landings was named... The best battle scene of all time by Empire Magazine and ranked number one on TV Guide's list of the 50 greatest movie moments. It's number 17. The scene cost, the scene, just that scene, cost $12 million to make. Half the budget. Half the budget. It involved up to 1,500 extras, some of whom were members of the Irish Reserve Defense Forces. Members of local reenactment groups, such as the Second Battle Group, were cast as extras to play German soldiers. Uh, uh, in addition, 20 to 30 actual amputees, I mentioned this earlier, were used to portray soldiers who were maimed during the landing. Spielberg did not storyboard the sequence. He wanted a lot of spontaneous reactions and for the action to inspire me, Steve, Spielberg's words, he wanted the action to inspire me as to, to where, where to, to put, put the, the camera. camera. Yeah. I, I mentioned to you earlier, it felt a lot like there were like... You know, three, four, five guys with GoPro cameras, and they just looked at the footage later and edited it together. But it was so well done. You know, it didn't look uh, 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 janky. It, it looked very realistic, but it, it really felt, you know, as it was supposed to feel, frenetic and and urgent. Yeah. And it, and you know, spending half his budget on that scene sets the movie. Yeah, uh, and I just included this as a fun fact as well. Mm. Uh, this is completely tangential, Okay, but one of the very last films to be released on Laserdisc in November of 1999. Okay, so Laserdisc ceased to be manufactured at the end of the year, so... I uh, owned, briefly, a Laserdisc player. I had two movies, and one was Rescuers Down Under... And the other one was Saving Private Ryan. You had a Laserdisc player. I had a Laserdisc player. I was my, alive in the 90s, yes. My Uncle Bob had a Laserdisc player. Really? And I was just amazed at it. It was like this, like, it the, looked like a record player. This were the size the disc, of an LP. Yeah, they were the, the size of a full, like, LP, LP record. Yeah. But it was silver. Oh, they were so pretty. And and they worked great. And they, you know, they, they really were awesome, especially compared to VHS at the time. However, my machine would not reliably play movies after about a year. Yeah. And I, I think we probably gave it to Goodwill after about 10 years, so. Circle, let's circle back to, so we've chatted a lot about the movie. Let's circle sure. back to voting uh, itself. Yeah. let's uh, talk about voting. And, um. So we and, think Marshall's going to vote. 
We think he's going to vote yes. Marshall and like, votes yes on his list. That like he loved like one of the things that he loved was cinematography. You'll see this in his write up, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that he just thinks that it stands out. Uh, I, I I can't disagree amazing. with him. To be honest with you. I, um, so how about cousin Wayne? What do you think about cousin Wayne? What's he going to say? Well, I'm going to cut to the chase mm. on this, and I don't know. I don't know what the full council like. I don't sure. know what individuals, mm-hmm. but I feel like. That this is kind of a slam dunk. It does feel like that, but I I, I have seen some critical uh, comments, but nothing that was like the whole movie was terrible. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it, and uh, like yeah, again, I don't know how this is going to go. That of of the of the movies we've seen so far, nine out of eleven was the highest. I think it's going to go higher than that. I I would. I am going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say it's going to be 10 of 11. And I, I've been wrong this year. Uh, with, with and I'm critics, okay with that. With the critics we've looked at, there's always like there's always one. Right. But remember, they have to write it up and say why. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll find out why. The, the However many people vote no or yes, we'll find out why. Um, but but I, I actually have a good feeling about this movie, not because I like this movie, but because of all the things that we've talked about. That I wouldn't be surprised if this was a ten of eleven. Yeah, yeah. The Facebook poll currently yeah. is standing at eighty-two people who have said yes. Yes. How does that and, compare to the no's? Yeah, four have oh, said no. Four. And you know how many people said they haven't seen it? Three. Three people. Yeah. Eight people said I want to rewatch it. So I'm guessing after they watch it, it's a yes. Yeah. We. <laughs> that's a big guess. But um, yeah. So how about you? So, and I'll say I'll say this the. Uh, and if you have listened to any of our podcasts today up until this moment, you can probably feel the frenetic energy that yeah. we have in discussing this movie. And of the movies that we've discussed this season, mm-hmm. I would say this is the easiest one for me to say yes to for Pantheon. I'm I'm on the fence. Just kidding! <laughs> no, I, I'm not on the fence. I, I think this was easy. When I heard this was nominated, I actually thought to myself, you know, that's... That is, uh, I put myself. I had put myself in an imaginary world where I was going to be able to make a nomination. This was one of two movies that I thought. I, I won't say the other one, but but this is one of two movies I thought to myself, man, that's that's never been nominated and it's not in Pantheon. It should be not just because it's one of my favorites, but because we've talked about how you break it down and and how we break it down and how we decide whether something yeah. maybe should or it shouldn't. It just it it's hits right on there. all cylinders. It does. It's all it's there. essential viewing. I believe so. It, yeah, and and as a war movie, it's an exemplar. Uh, so like, so here's the questions that I was thinking as a about. Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, it's an exemplar. It is. Um, and Tom Hanks plays Tom Hanks, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, he does. You know, in some, I've seen him in a, obviously we've seen him in a lot of movies. He's played many different characters and variations on a theme. This is one where he didn't have to come up with a variation on a theme. He played a Tom Hanks character, not something different, not something you know like a totally different kind of a character, not like a Forrest Gump or whatever. But the little things Woody. that he added, like being shell shocked in his hand, sure, or having moments where he was breaking down, like 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 yep. he. He didn't phone it in. Even the very end, where in his death scene, where he kept fire, like he was in the end, he ends up sitting on a bridge firing a handgun at a tank. You know what a futile 
thing to do, and yet it fit perfectly with his character. Not just his character in this movie, but it was like a Tom Hanks thing. So, so here's the question I was, I was thinking about for myself, uh, because this is the easiest one for me to say yes to mm-hmm. of the ones we've looked at so far. Mm-hmm. So, along that line of Pantheon, and uh, yeah, one one hour twenty. So, okay. Um, the what is the hardest yes you've had this season? Hardest meaning most difficult to say yes or most firm? The most difficult to say yes to that, like you were, like you really wrestled, but you had to, but you finally said yes. Miami connection, maybe. What? You said no to that one. Did I? I struggled a lot with that one. I've actually struggled a lot with for, several for me, movies. Uh, a Clockwork Orange was the most difficult to say yes to. Okay. For me, I did say yes the to most, Clockwork Orange. The most difficult for you me to say no to was Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. So I, I, you brought that up, Clockwork Orange. I, as I recall, I couldn't even decide while we were doing the podcast. I decided the next day. Yeah. So Clockwork Orange. Yeah, and the most difficult to say no to. For you, you know, honestly, for a lot of other reasons, yeah. for, for a lot of other reasons, uh, that was just the list. I'm just oh, showing, oh yeah, no, I'm I have showing it. you the list. I have, I'm sorry. For for a lot of other reasons, it was actually dear Zachary. Yeah, because although I said no to it, I felt bad. Okay, but now it was also the first podcast we did. But um, but of the movies that I really liked. And then I'm like, okay, why would I say no to it? Um, the wall. And the easiest to say no to. <laughs> <laughs> it got into Pantheon, so that's terrible. Yeah, I did to... not like Life Aquatic. <laughs> yeah, but hey, you know what? That was the easiest for me to say no to. Oh, the, uh... Lord Almighty. All righty. Uh, yeah. Any comments that you'd like to add uh, before we before we wrap up? Um, so, uh, so one of the things that I found in looking at trivia was that, and it was a fun fact, is that they put the actors, like the main eight, through boot camp, and oh, they, yeah. they let Matt Damon not be part of the boot camp, right. the one week training for the actors, like they wanted the actors to feel what it was like to be a soldier, but at the same time, they also wanted to create this resentment against Matt Damon, uh, <laughs> which by, you saw, <laughs> which you saw. But they intentionally didn't include him in the training, mm-hmm. so that they weren't he wasn't part of the troop. And I thought that was just kind of like a uh, a brilliant mo- move on the point of the, the the directors and producers of the film. Um, there's something a, else that yeah. I, I was going to point out uh, that Private Ryan before Matt Damon got it this was offered to Edward Norton uh, who turned it down because uh, he wanted to do American History X which by the way I really enjoyed American History X I liked that movie I know it got mixed uh, mixed feedback on that movie but he turned it down uh, mm-hmm. and so we got Matt Damon yeah um, but yeah it was interesting so uh, another fun fact of the film is that the, the reason Matt Damon is in the film is that Robin Williams mm-hmm. introduced Steven Spielberg to Matt Damon after filming Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. So that was that was a that, that was kind of a fun connection that Robin Williams is connected to this film and that the reason that we see Matt Damon there is because Robin Williams had made that connection. Right, right, right. Um 
And there was other fun things like uh, Tom Hanks was actually admitted, like he, he was inducted into the Ra- U.S. Army Rangers Hall of Fame for his <laughs> for his uh, depiction of this character. And we talked about half the movie budget, yeah, uh, being going into the the beach invasion. Uh, it took twenty five days just to shoot the invasion sequence, and out of the sixty days in the entire movie, so I mean, you know, l- almost literally half the time to make the movie went to that one scene too. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess the last thing, so like, and, and we're we're coming to closing and final thoughts, yeah. right? Is that yeah the um the, the one thing I would say is that I watched this movie, and uh, of the ones that we've looked at this year, mm-hmm. this one drove me to tears. Yeah, and it made me it made me think, and like that that the question of Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. I almost wrote you a message, yeah, <laughs> and said I, I, to say like to say that to you is like Gary. Please tell me I've lived a good life. <laughs> tell me I'm a good man. Well, you know that um, um, uh, Brad has taken to posting uh, little memes with quotes, and my quote that Brad posted uh, was was Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. Yeah, uh, is as final words that I would I would almost want to be able to say to my wife like on my deathbed, but that I won't because I'm kind of afraid of how she would respond. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that that experience is. I would have to imagine that anybody who's lived enough life has wrestled with those thoughts of like, am I worthy of the life that I've been given? Yeah, yeah, and um. And to kind of like wrap everything around is that one of the critiques that I saw of this film is that like like at least one person was was commenting that oh this is another Spielberg good like a good feel like a feel good ending um, and my thought was was kind of like a counter critique to say that people who critique feel-good endings are not critiquing feel-good endings but they're critiquing feeling good at all in life and i don't think that like for me i don't think that's valid like i i think that life life has moments where yeah. uh it's it's good to feel good it's good to feel moments uh it's it's yeah um the uh and uh, I'll tell you, I think you're a good man, and I think you've lived a good life, my friend, Mr. Miggity Mac, Thank Mr. You. Gary McFall. I feel the same for you much more than for me. There we go. All right. As always, uh, Video Landers, we hope everyone's enjoyed tonight's conversation. Where can Video Land find you, uh, Dr. Diamond Duck? You'll find me mostly on the Facebook page for Adventures in Video Land. That's where you'll find me. Uh, you can find Adventures in Video Land on Instagram, adventuresinvideoland.com, and on our Facebook page at Adventures in Video Land. But the conversation will always begin and end on Facebook. You've been listening to Criticism in its Finest Hour. Until next time, Video Landers. The Statue of Liberty is kaput! <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't want to. Uh, no, end on no, no. That. How, about, how, how about earn this? Earn this. Wait, how about, tell me I'm a, well, we've covered that one a bunch of times. You know what? How about this? How about this? 
We, we love, love you. you.